So what time are the teens leaving, driving out of the parking lot tomorrow? Good, good. That's better than I thought. I was thinking we had to leave even a little earlier than that. And uh, after being at that uh, pastor's fellowship this past week and getting dogged out for telling them that I don't always preach real long because I'm concerned about time, I decided tonight's the night that I stopped worrying about it. So teenagers, I, you should get at least three or four hours before you have to head out tomorrow morning, okay? So hold on to your seats. Here it comes. No, <laughs> that's not true. Lamentations. We're in Lamentation chapter 5. Lamentation chapter 5, verse 21. Matter of fact, I changed the message tonight because I wanted to get out of here sooner. The only problem was is that I went home and worked on it, and now it's just as long as the last one was. So I tried. I really did. I was thinking about everyone that had to leave in the morning. Matter of fact, I'm leaving in the morning. I'm going to camp with the teenagers. I'm looking forward to that. Just spend a little time with them in a different environment, different uh, setting, and let them see how, how refined I am. Yes. See, I'm extremely refined. And so I just want them to get to know their preacher, see? So we'll see how it goes. <clears throat> All right, Lamentation chapter 5, verse 21. We're just going to look at a verse here in just a moment. But <clears throat> Jeremiah began his ministry during the reign of Josiah in 628 B.C. That's a long time ago, wasn't it? Both he and Josiah were pretty young, and they were most likely friends. They probably uh, had contact with one another. They knew one another. We know that Josiah was the last king to lead the nation in revival. <clears throat> we know that Israel never had any good kings, but you turn around and you have Judah, and Judah did have some good kings. Josiah was one of those, and he led the nation in revival. He was only eight years of age when he ultimately assumed the throne, and he would live his life trying to do his best as a whole to kind of recapture the heart of the people of God and to rekindle a fire with Jehovah. Now, Josiah was killed in battle, but Jeremiah continued to minister. There were four kings that would follow Josiah. We have Jehoiaz, we have Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. And they were all extremely wicked kings. Nothing good about them. There, there's nothing redeemable about them. Josiah's attempt to deter a crash course with, uh, for Judah failed. I mean, they, uh, you know, they were, he was trying to help them not fall into captivity. He wanted to help them to avoid the consequences of their sin, but, well, that didn't happen. And so we witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, and we watched as they were taken into captivity, at least as we read through the Scriptures. Jeremiah saw this all firsthand. Judah had turned from God one step at a time, and now they found themselves enslaved and captive in Babylon. As Jeremiah closes this book, Lamentations, as he considers the plight of his nation, he finds himself praying and begging God to do something. And notice what it says here in Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21. He says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Isn't it interesting? It almost appears as though Jeremiah is implying that the people of God have no heart, no desire, nor can they, except God turned them. It's as though God himself must turn them. 
Now, we know that there's a sense of responsibility that is involved in every decision we make. And yet, Jeremiah is acknowledging God's place and part in that and how large that part is. Well, we have got to get God involved in the decision-making process, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of others. He says, turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. And here it is, renew our days as of old. Renew our days as of old. I believe that Jeremiah wanted so badly to see revival. Jeremiah wanted so badly to see the nation turn back to God. He wanted so desperately to, for the nation to acknowledge God as their God. I can't tell you how often I have longed for the days of old. Not the days of outhouses or possibly fetching water from a well. Not the days of crossing the Atlantic by ship and traveling by horse and buggy. Not that. I'm not longing for that. Not the days of hot mustard patches or castor oil. Nah, that's not it. Not the days of no electricity or air conditioning. I guarantee you that. But let's face it, uh, probably you as well as I, we long for the days as of old. I've heard of great revivals in public meetings just like you have. I've heard of great sermons that brought such conviction to the hearts and minds of people that were listening that men and women fell uh, on their knees or possibly held on to pews for fear of slipping into hell itself. I long for the days of old-time religion, old-time fundamentalism, and old-time preaching and praising the Lord. I still remember as a boy being in churches where we'd just sing old, you know, it was good for your mother, it was good for your mother, it was good for your mother, it's good enough for me. Now we'd sing that song verse after verse, good for your father, it was good for your constitution, whatever it was, you know. I mean, it's like it was good for everything, you know. He'd say, it's good enough for me. Man, I'll tell you, there was a fervor in the music at times. There was just a spirit of God in the midst of the congregation. And can I tell you, if we're not careful, we're losing that today, and we need to rekindle it. Old-time fundamentalism, old-time preaching, old-time praising the Lord. Well, it's not as normal as we'd like it to be, sadly. God help us to... Find our way out of this state of apathy, this lackadaisical, lethargical Christianity that's satisfied and comfortable with mediocrity. What a sad state of affairs we find ourselves in these days. I'm sure Jeremiah felt the same way as he observed the nation's apathy toward God. He was convinced that sin had shipwrecked his nation. And he would have been right and was right. He longed for God's people to return unto the Lord and once again embrace God as the object of their faith and practice. As he utters this historic statement, renew our days as of old. I believe he was thinking about a few things in particular. I've got to imagine that he was reminded of those years when God had showed himself mighty on behalf of the children of Israel, I believe he was thinking about a couple of things. Number one, the days of great works. I want you to take your Bible, turn over to Joshua chapter 2. 
And I also believe he was thinking about the days of great worship. We're going to talk about just those two things very briefly and then maybe, maybe get into an application very quickly or something maybe will help us. Let's go ahead and take our Bible, turn over to Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. <clears throat> All right, as you arrive there, we're going to have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today. We thank you for the prophet Jeremiah and just, Father, for the heart that he had. What a unique man of God. <clears throat> what an instrument in your hand. And Lord, tonight we ask that you would speak to us and you would encourage us in the things of Christ. Lord, may we too experience and ultimately live in those great days. Lord, it's not like it can't happen. It can. And Lord, it's time that we stop believing that, well, it's just the last days and this is how it is. No, Lord, that is a cop-out. That is truly right out of hell. Help us, Lord, to realize that you have different plans. And that, Father, we too can experience the mighty blessings of God, even as they did in days of old. We need you. Father, if anybody, for anybody's sake, we want to see these things for our teenagers and our children. The next generation needs to know that God is real. And that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. <clears throat> Father, we know that you can. And you have, and you will. Thank you for what you have done in our lives and in our ministry. But Lord, we want to see you do it again and again and again. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Joshua chapter 2, verse 7. And the men pursued after them uh, the way of, to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, verse uh, 8... She came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Now we're going to stop there, and let me just express what's going on. We know that the children of Israel had failed to go into the promised land originally, and because of that they wandered for 40 years. Now we see them prepared to go into the promised land again. Now, this time, after wandering 40 years, I think that they've pretty much come to the conclusion that we don't want to go through that again. So it's time to move forward for God. And so he sends spies into the land. This time, uh, they send two spies. They don't send 13 anymore because committees never end up good. And so the two go out. And as a result of that, they find their way to Jericho. And now they run into a woman who we ultimately will know as Rahab the harlot. And in this particular case, she makes some statements that express the perspective and outlook of not just herself, but the people there in the city. And she says simply, she says, and she said unto the men, verse 9, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Now, that's been a long time ago, but they remember it. It's fresh in their minds. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion and Og, when ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man 
because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Isn't that amazing? Here we have this woman whose lifestyle is not lining up with the Word of God, and yet she acknowledges and recognizes the great power of the God of the Israelites. I mean, this is power. These are great days that God had accomplished, great days of mighty works, delivering the people out of Egypt, delivering them across the Red Sea, delivering them through the wilderness, giving them victory in battle. And this woman says, we have heard of the escapades of the Israelites and the power of your God and how awfully mighty he is. And we melt as we think about you coming into our area because we know we cannot stand against your God or you. The days of great works. These are the days of great works that I believe Jeremiah longed for again. He longed to see God do it again. To preserve them in the midst of their plight. To provide and protect like before. To once again deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. And he certainly longed for the great victories that Moses and Joshua had experienced and the supremacy of the people of God and the nation in the days of David and, 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 and Solomon. And I believe today we need to pray with Jeremiah like he did. We need to pray just like he did, I should say. Renew our days as of old. We're living in a day when the church as a whole has no power. In 2 Timothy, the apostle warns Timothy of believers that are believers in name only, doesn't he? Over there in 2 Timothy 3, 5, he says, These believers possess the lingo. They say all the right things. They wear the name, if you will. But they are void of the Holy Spirit power. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, and he goes on to say, from such turn away. We live in a generation, basically, that plays church. Our Christianity is predominantly shallow. It doesn't run very deep at all. Matter of fact, it probably doesn't run much deeper than the carpet we walk in every day. Renew our days as of old. I don't know about you, but I'd like to see the Red Sea parted again. I'd like to see God supernaturally provide like He did in the wilderness. I'd like to see the enemies of God fall at His feet and fall before the people of God. The days of great works. The strength of a tree is found in the root, and the strength of the church is no different. And our roots are shallow indeed today. The church today is, for the most part, as we said, Christian in name only. What a sad thing it is. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to experience some of those great revivals of days gone by. <clears throat> we talk about America back in the 1700s and 1800s. We recognize that there were great awakenings that took place in both centuries. If there is a need for a great awakening, it is now. There needs to be a great awakening in America. And I know that there are some naysayers that will say things like, well, the nation has gone too far. Prophecy describes us as going off the deep end. 
There's no hope of revival anymore except maybe in a personal life. My friend, you don't know when Jesus is coming back and neither do I. The fact is it may be 500 years from now, Christ is still on the throne and God still has the power to change lives. My friend, we got to keep on preaching and keep on praying and keep on looking for God to do a miracle. And he can do it again. We need God to help us to experience the power of the apostles. We need him to help us to reach the world with the gospel and see his spirit work mightily in hearts, lives, and the culture and the society in which we live. We base too much on the present. We look at the downhill slide and how quickly things are going and we assume that God is powerless. I mean, if God was working, then none of this would be taking place. No, that's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. And he's working overtime to make it happen. But I'll tell you what, as long as God's people are silent and as long as God's people believe this is just the way it has to go, nothing will ever change. Jeremiah was thinking about the days of great works, but I believe he was also thinking about the days of great worship. Look, if you would, in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm so encouraged. I, I, I was telling you how I just, uh, they asked a question in that uh, panel I was on or whatever. They said, you know, what's something that's been taking place in your church that's been encouraging you as of late? And I said, man, it's, it's, it's uh, our youth leader and, and the direction he's taking those teenagers as they're out on those streets, walking around with those sandwich signs, preparing to witness and share with everybody they run into, as well as potentially starting to street preach on those corners. Let me tell you something, that encourages me to see the next generation not ashamed of Jesus Christ. There's still hope for America as long as there are young people like that that are willing to take their place out in the foreign fields, so to speak. And let me tell you, right in our own neighborhoods, there are some foreign fields, and we got to get out there in the darkness and start sharing some light. Good for you teenagers. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers and the children of Israel unto, the king, unto king Solomon in Jerusalem that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto king Solomon at the feast in the month uh, Ethanim which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. Even those did the priest and the Levites bring up and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. Man, the house of God had been in building It had been in building for seven years, and now it is complete. Solomon and the people of God are dedicating it unto the Lord here in 1 Kings. And I believe that the prophet longed for the days of packed services. We see in 1 Kings that they all gathered together. Can I tell you, God is looking for the people of God to take a stand and come together and gather together. Man, I'll tell you, the local church has lost its I guess it's appeal to people. 
They say the church attendance is down across the country. It doesn't matter what denomination or what group you're with. And can I tell you, even in the fundamental Baptist realm, we are losing people to the secular society in which we live. They're no longer seeing the need to be in God's house the way it's intended to be. And they don't see and recognize the need that God says they must be there. Listen, if you're going to stand for Christ in this sin-sick world we live in, you need the local church. we got to gather together. Man, I want to see uh, the kind of worship, the, the days of great worship. Well, the days of great worship are often dependent on the people of God gathering together first. And then I see these, these, the powerful preaching and the singing. And in 1 Kings 8, 3 through 4, we note that the ark was around. And anytime God's around, let me tell you what, there's going to be some good preaching and some singing. Man, he was in the midst, and wherever God is, good things happen. I don't care if there's 10 people or if there's 100 people or 1,000 people, good things can happen. Revival doesn't require a, a whole big auditorium full of people. I understand that. But let me tell you, across this country, if we're going to transition and change the world in which we live, we're going to have to have a, a recall of God's people to the house of God. But boy, I'll tell you what, wherever two or more are gathered, he's in the midst. And so you listen, don't get discouraged if your buddy or friend doesn't show up next Sunday. You keep worshiping God. You keep serving the master. <clears throat> There's plenty of praise and worship in that meeting that day in 1 Kings. Whether as they made sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. So great worship is the result of great sacrifice and dedication. And these had come together as a people, and they wanted to be in the house of God in 1 Kings 8. They had focused on the Lord, and they made sure that He was the very center of their worship. I like the ministry uh, that Brother Snyder's involved in because I love the fact that the Word of God is being elevated. Man, listen, everybody's got an opinion, and everybody has an idea. Everyone has a perspective. But when it's all said and done, the only real one that matters is His. Man, I need to tell you the Word of God must be elevated and magnified and glorified in the eyes of mankind. It is the only way that we're going to see transition and change in the world in which we live. All the self-help books and all the Google searches will never, ever, ever fix the problems in your life or in mine. Jesus Christ is the answer. See, the house of God today, sadly enough, has seemed to become a business. And I appreciated that too about your presentation. That their ministry isn't about making money necessarily. they got to make some money to keep it open. I get that. They've got to have support in order to make it happen. But the goal is not to make it a big buck. It's not to somehow get ahead financially. It's ministry. I like that. But the house of God has become business today. I mean, it's just generally speaking. And I'm talking, not just talking about Baptists, I'm talking about church in general across America. It's success or failure is thought to rise and fall on a marketing strategy instead of fervent prayer, Holy Spirit power, or the presence of the Lord. The greatest draw is no longer a desire for worship, but for entertainment. Music and drama have taken center stage, while God and His words seem to ride in the back seat. Preaching is what churches used to do. Worship is performed by a team, and praise is practiced and then performed. It's pitiful, the state of the modern church today. 
We've become mechanical and methodical while all too often becoming miserable and misguided. We no longer long for preaching, but presentations. We no longer desire sermons, but seminars and conferences. We no longer look forward to the work, but workshops. Well, God help us. Renew our days as of old. Renew our days as of old. So as we close today, I want to give you just a few steps that we can take in order to see and experience the days of great work and great worship. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I want to give you just these simple four thoughts. Here they are. Number one, be thirsty for God. Be thirsty for God. Boy, I was out at the picnic yesterday. The children had their Sunday school picnic, and we were just out there messing around, playing a little kickball. I was probably the best one out there. Of course, I was playing with the first through third graders. But I mean to tell you, it was hot out there. It was hot. You didn't have to do anything but stand, and you just dripped. And you know what? The fact is, you get pretty thirsty out there running around doing something in that kind of heat. You get thirsty. It's not something you got to work at. You know what I mean? It's just something that happens. You're out there in the heat, and guess what? You get thirsty. You got to replenish yourself with some electrolytes. You got to get replenished with some from H2O. And can I tell you, if we are ever going to see these great days of work and worship, we got to get thirsty for God. I mean, we got to get to the place where we can't stand it anymore, that our mouths are parched, if you will. Our spirits are thirsty for God. The Bible says in Psalm 143, 6, the psalmist said, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. The image is that of a desert, and there it is, barren, no water. And he's saying, man, it's like this land that's parched and barren. It needs water to bring it alive again. And that's where we are. We're so dead in our spirits so many times. We're no longer alive in Christ. We're going through the motions. We've got to get thirsty for God. Be thirsty for God. If we're going to experience the days of great works and great worship... Not only be thirsty for God, but make much of the Bible. Make much of the Bible. The Bible says in Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 55, 11, please. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 11. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 11, the word of God, <clears throat> so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto, whereto I sent it. The promise is, is that God's going to use this word. You and I may not see the, the results necessarily on the onset, but let me tell you, it's going to make a difference. But the fact is today is we got to make much of the Bible. We make much of a lot of things today. 
But, but let's be honest, it's not always the Bible. I mean, I don't know about you, but I guarantee you this. The majority of us spend more time on our phones just Googling and looking up things and trying to access information about the world we live in than accessing the Lord that gives us life. And you say, well, you know, it's, it's, we got to live like that. That's impractical, preacher. Oh, really? Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. We are so consumed with what's going on in our culture, our society, we don't even know what God says about it. Oh, well, I know what he says about homosexuals. Well, good for you. I mean, are you kidding me? I'll tell you what, you know what he says about it? You show me two verses right now. Don't, no, don't go into your phone and start Googling. Come on, tell me where it, where it is. Let's quit talking about what you know when you don't know it. Oh, well, I know what he stands on this transgender stuff. Oh, okay, show me a couple scriptures about it. Let's see what you really know. See, listen, I'm going to tell you something. We are shallow as the carpet we walk on Sunday mornings. And we think somehow we're so spiritual because we show up in a suit and tie or we have a dress on. Friend, I'm telling you, that is not how it works. That's not how God views us. And again, if we want to see the mighty works of old, if we really want God to do a miracle, we want days of great works and great worship. We want revival again, like we've seen in the past that has reconciled a nation back to God. It won't happen until we get real thirsty for God, until we make much of this book the Bible. Why would they make much of the Bible if we don't? Why, if we don't spend time in the book, would they? Why would they think that it matters what they do in this life if we can't honestly say that His Word dictates and determines what we do in our life? We've got to get serious about this thing. We want to see and experience the days of great works and great worship. Be thirsty for God. Make much of the Bible. Here's a good one, too. Prioritize prayer and fasting. Wow. You know why fasting's a pain? Because it's requiring us to die. Because we have to deny ourselves something. Do you know, I'm convinced that it's not till God knows I'm really serious about something that God is really that interested in doing a whole lot for me. When's the last time you got up in the middle of the night and prayed specifically for something that burdened your heart? Hey, listen, we're all guilty of it at times. We take so much for granted in our lives. When's the last time you or I literally fasted and said, I won't eat a thing. I'll spend my time when I should be eating, praying and begging God to do a miracle or to do something powerful and real in my life or the lives of others. I mean, we've got to be honest with ourselves. What do we really want? I mean, listen, playing church is comfortable. It feels good. It makes me feel good about myself. I mean, God's got to be happy with me showing up here all the time and singing in the choir and preaching a message or doing Sunday school or going out door knocking. I mean, he's got to be happy with me. Look what I'm doing compared to what everybody else is. 
but that's not going to bring about the kind of revival that I believe Jeremiah was seeking. That's not going to do what I think you and I really want. We want to see the days of great works and the days of great worship. We're going to have to prioritize prayer and fasting. Think about that boy that kept casting himself into the fire. He just kept casting himself into the fire. The disciples show up and the dad's like, Oh, help me, my son keeps casting himself in the fire. We got this. But they didn't. Finally, Jesus shows up. Oh, Jesus, your disciples couldn't cast out any demons. Your disciples couldn't fix my son. He keeps casting himself into the fire. And Jesus says, oh, oh boy. And he cast The demon out, fixed the boy, raised him up, healed him, if you will. Mark 9, 28 says, And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? Good question, right? Good question. And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. Why are we not seeing the power of God? Could it be because we're not willing to pay the price? When's the last time you watched a show that lasted an hour and a half? When's the last time you watched a show that lasted two hours? I hope you don't go to movies, but let's say you did. Can you imagine spending all that money and still wasting two and a half, three hours at a movie theater? How much did you pray this week? How much did you pray? We got to get thirsty for God first. Got to get thirsty. I mean, if we're going to see some things happen, we got to make much of this book, the Bible. We got to prioritize prayer and fasting. And finally, last, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, that be not drunk with wine, why does he put that in there? Oh, because there's a bunch of drunkards. Well, there might have been a bunch of folks drinking, I guess, but can I tell you one thing that you and I all understand it's what drunkenness looks like he's trying to help us recognize and understand that drunkenness controls the person the person doesn't control it alcohol controls the person you don't control the alcohol and can i tell you what he's saying is is you shouldn't let alcohol control you at all you should let the spirit of god control you and you know what let's be honest there's not one of us in the room that can't do a better job of this man we could do a lot better job probably But if we are going to see the works, the mighty works, the days of great worship and the days of great works, we have got to be filled with the Spirit of God. 
I don't have a cup, but if I took this, even this water that's in here right now, and I started putting something else in that, unscrew it, start pouring something else in, sooner or later it's going to overflow, right? You know, in order to fill this up with pop, I have to get rid of the water first. I cannot fill this up with pop as long as it's filled with water. And can I tell you, until we empty ourselves completely, God cannot fill us with His Spirit. And we are walking, we are walking time bombs of the flesh these days. We walk in the flesh so often, and I'm pointing back at me. If we really want to see God do these great works of, work, of worship and works, if we want to see God bring tremendous revival to our land and to our nation and even to our city, even in our own lives, our homes and our families, we are going to have to be filled with the Spirit of God. That means we got to kind of bend to the Hebrews chapter 12 that we talked about this morning. Laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. we got to get rid of it so that God can fill us with the Spirit. and We can be controlled by that Spirit. Controlled by it. Be thirsty for God. Make much of the Bible. Prioritize prayer and fasting. Be filled with the Spirit. You know, Jeremiah longed for the days of great works and great worship. He begged God to renew the days of old. I'll be honest with you. I'm not one of these that likes to look back and wish. I don't like it. I want to live it today. I don't want to try to continue in the spirit of yesterday. I want to forge ahead in the spirit of today and the victories today. I want to see Akron reach with the gospel today. I want to see every seat filled at Community Baptist Temple today. I want to see the baptistry waters stirred today. I want to see God discipling and raising up believers and watching lives transformed and changed today. I want our young people to realize that the God we serve is not just a byproduct of our own need. No, He is legit, He's real, and He makes a difference in our lives. No wonder they don't want Jesus. They grow up in churches and they grow up in homes across this country and they never see God at work. We keep telling them how powerful God is, and they go, really? Doesn't seem to be making that much of a difference in our house, in our church, in our community. God help us to say, Lord, renew our days as of old. and Let them see us doing our very best, filled with the Spirit, to recapture the days of great works and great worship. Father, we come to you. We need you today. Lord, we are just a, a needy people. Lord, I, uh, I know in my own life, I, I fall miserably short so often. God, I don't want to stay there. I want to get victory. I want to see you work in a way that cannot be explained except it's you. 
I don't want people to ever say it had to be personality or it had to be programming. I want them to say it had to be the master. God, do your work in our lives. We need you. Oh God, show yourself real on our behalf. And may we, Father, take steps to bring this to pass. Help us to be thirsty for you. To make much of the book, the Bible. Lord, may, maybe someone needs to prioritize prayer in their life and include fasting. Lord, help us all just to be filled with the Spirit. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.